Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, hello. And of course, we are joined by producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, a big old quick and dirty. From the curious marketing campaign behind anyone but you and the curse, to Suki Waterhouse announcing she's pregnant mid-performance, Rapper Cassie has accused Diddy of sexual assault and abuse. Reviews of The Crown Season 6 are in, and they are emphatically negative. Travis Kelsey has been profiled by The Wall Street Journal. And Kanye West's Australian wife, Bianca Sensori, might now be his ex. But first, Sarah McDonald, how are you? Hello. I'm good. How, how am I? God, I don't get that question very often. I get, how is my week? How are you? How but are we doing? Mental health check-in Now for that we're asking that, I'm pretty good. It's... November 22, the <laughs> obvious point to make is um, ready for the end of the year. <laughs> it's a little bit tired. It's not the most time. interesting line of conversation, but it's the truth when you're asking how I am. I am crawling. <laughs> I do have a recommendation for you this week. For some reason, last week or in the last couple of weeks, I completely missed the news that Jezebel, the feminist website, was closing. Same. But isn't that an indication that it should have been closing? Yeah. Because it became so irrelevant, we didn't even see the news that it was closing. 1,000%. I I think back when I was working at Mamma Mia in my early kind of year or two of working in the media, Jezebel was like this. The thing. The thing. It was Mm. this mammoth thing. It was, for those who don't know what it was, it was like this trailblazing funny feminist website. Of course, if you go back into the archives now, you find that that sometimes <laughs> some sketchy funniness shit. <laughs> kind of transcended into snarkiness, but so did a lot of shit on the internet. And so this week I read a piece in the New York Times called Jezebel, the Oral History. There was this riotous sense of fun. And essentially what this piece does is just sort of, it is like an oral history from all the people that worked there over the last sort of 10 to 15 years and their experiences there and what they were building. And it's impossible not to feel this intense level of nostalgia if you did like that site reading it and what kind of impact it did have on our cultural discourse what contributed to the downfall is it because it stayed a website when every every other media publication started doing other things like video and podcasts well i'm sure that had something to do with it there's also that thing where gorka fell over Mm. it was bought and then sold and then bought and sold a few times and i don't know if you can have like an amazing growth yeah, level of growth when you're constantly under new ownership and yeah. constantly having turnover of staff because staff aren't getting along with management. So I think there's a, there's a huge point to be argued about that. But yeah, as I said, great recommendation. I I mean, <laughs> I was going to say great read, but a really, really strong recommendation for me. Good job, me. <laughs> How about you? How are you? What are you recommending? I'm good, guys. I'm so sleepy. And this isn't my recommendation, but for the sleepy girlies out there, the tired girlies. I do think you should re-watch or watch for the first time season two of Fleabag if you're feeling like I am right now. This isn't my wreck, as I said. I just think season two of Fleabag is one of the best things I in the world. I still haven't watched it, guys. It's <gasps> so good. It's so good. It is such a bonding show as well. Like my best friends love Fleabag. My little sister loved Fleabag. 
just get in on the ride. And if you're feeling sleepy, watch watch Fleabag again. It's such an easy one to kind of just have wash over you. Can I quickly say, mm. if, the, if, the, if the girls are listening and are sleepy, sorry, I, I cannot <laughs> sort of come in here and recommend something else. Dedicated for the sleepy girls. But the listeners don't know how I've changed my sleep routine and that it's changed my life. Oh, sure. Yes, tell us. Okay, so you know how I've been using the sleep mask and now I'm suddenly sleeping better than ever? Yes. I feel like people need to get on this. Annabelle, oh, I've told you this a million yeah. times. If you are sleepy, you also need a sleep mask. Okay, silk, silk sleep, sleep mask. mask. Sleep with it. Your life will change. And by sleepy, we mean kind of struggles with sleep struggles with yeah sleep. that's me because you're light sensitive yeah real i didn't realize i was though okay i didn't know that was a thing i mm. thought i was sound sensitive i was actually light sensitive so anyway for the sleepy girls flea bag and the silk sleep mask not at the same time importantly <laughs> does it slip off your head as you sleep absolutely but you're still sleeping <laughs> you're already <laughs> say, asleep those things just don't stay on my head i toss and i turn and it's no, off within 30 minutes then if you're awake you put it back on Okay. And then you're back to sleep again. Okay. It's, it's perfect. I can't recommend it more. What else are you recommending <laughs> beyond all the sleep things? The Robbie Williams documentary series on Netflix. Oh Have either of you watched it? No, I nodded as if I had, but I've just seen this around and I'm curious. That's I've, a crime. It's a crime that you haven't watched I've it. I've seen it everywhere, but I haven't watched it. A listener reached out to us last week. I'm so sorry for forgetting your name. They DM'd us and said, I'm a little above your average age of listener and maybe I'm too old for you guys, but I think you'd really love the Robbie Williams Netflix documentary. And to that listener... We fucking love Robbie Williams on this podcast. We are big Robbie fans. Famously, we loved his AFL grand final performance a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago. And Zara loves his performance at Glastonbury it and the video of that on YouTube. Glastonbury. It was live from Neb- Nebworth or Nebsworth <laughs> or something like that. That thing. But close enough. Okay, well, this documentary series is a very interesting premise. For whatever reason, Robbie has basically kept a video diary of his life for the last 30 years, only he hasn't watched that footage back. So this is like a documentary meets Gogglebox, where the producers have edited down this footage, they sit him in front of his computer, and he watches his young self back and provides commentary throughout it all. That is so smart. Fascinating given Robbie has struggled deeply with substance misuse over his life as well. He went to rehab before he even went out as a solo artist. Him leaving Take That, I didn't realise this at the time, but him leaving Take That came with a lot of controversy and a lot of personal struggle. This series is just fascinating to see a man admit that he was not the person he wants to be. He's really disappointed in himself for various things across his life. Interesting. Yes. He also openly admits to treating various people quite poorly as well, not being a good partner, not being a good person. Can I ask, do you believe him? I I don't don't mean to be sort of devil's advocate here, (laughs) but is it an easy crutch to say, yeah, I was terrible there, but I just simply don't stand by it now. It might be an easy crutch, but I think it's a really fascinating crutch regardless. Do you think it's authentic? Yeah. There's that word again. (laughs) (laughs) The Authenticity Podcast. No, I do. Yeah. I do. And I, I almost don't care. If it is or isn't. If he's the perfect person now. I find it fascinating to watch a pop star slash rock star. I don't really know what camp Robbie Williams really fits in. I find <laughs> I, think, I think pop. Both? Pop I think, rock? I think he is pop. Guys, but Angel's maybe, not particularly rock. He, he wants to be rock. Right. Like, let me, I think he considers himself maybe a rock star. 
Interesting. And the world considers him a pop star. But Quick. I cared, I cared heaps about it. And how many episodes? How long are they? I actually don't remember. I watched all no of them way. in one go. It just kind of washed over me. I want to say three or four. Yep. But just like a great watch, I think if your partner also is keen on a bit of Robbie Williams, then the perfect thing to just chuck on Netflix and enjoy. I need to watch this. You I do. actually I am gonna watch it before the next episode. Don't worry about that. Great. All right, let's get into the quick and dirty, shall we? Let's do it. Michelle, every week we bring you you guys the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> Rock star, Andrew. Yes. I am a rock star, yeah, that's which is right. famously something a rock star would never <laughs> say. <laughs> it's so true. A rock star would never call themselves a rock star. What have you got for me? Our first story: Emma Stone and Nathan Fielder parody Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell's "Anyone But You" intro in their new "The Curse" promo. That was from Variety. It's a bit of a tongue twister, but I'm obsessed with this story. Oh, well, if that headline was a tongue twister, then I reckon this story might be the definition <laughs> of a tongue twister. This is one of the more confusing stories out of the weekend. I would bet a huge portion of our listeners saw parts of this around, but have no idea what actually happened. Mm. And so I think what we're going to do today is take you from the beginning to the end, and then you guys can sit with what you think may have happened. Beautiful. Where shall we begin? All right. I actually want to start with Variety's opening line of this story, which is, if it's a marketing scheme, it's an elaborate one, because (laughs) I don't know if you guys saw this as it was happening throughout the weekend, but I was so confused. So I want to tell you about Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone's new television show, The Curse. Has anyone watched it? No, I haven't, but I plan to. I watched the trailer and it's giving highbrow and it's giving a little bit absurdist and spooky. Yeah, it's sort of like, from what I've read, it's kind of parroting a home reno show that becomes like this psychologically thing. Yeah, they it's a married couple doing home renos for TV who get cursed by a little kid in a car park. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to watch this show. I'm going to say that's sounding more like your vibe than ever, Annabelle. So what they did is Emma Stone and Nathan Fielder's TV show is out and they parodied Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell's prelude to their own trailer. It sounds a bit confusing, but essentially, as we know, Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell have anyone but you coming out on Boxing Day. Very quick disclaimer, we have done some SponCon with that film. This conversation is completely sitting outside of that. This is just the story that everyone's talking about this week. Now, before their trailer, Sydney Sweeney, Glenn Powell did like this bit where they kind of spoke in front of this light blue wall. Yeah, it was like a Like green screen vibes, but not green. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Blue screen. (laughs) A backdrop. Uh, Baby blue screen. It's giving giving wall. Yeah, (laughs) exactly right. And they sort of bounced off each other in a way where they were like, now let's intro our trailer. No, my trailer. No, your trailer. Actually, I've got the snippet here. Why Why am I pretending to paraphrase this? This is what they did before their trailer. Check out the new trailer for my new movie. My movie. It's actually my movie. Oh, we'll see whose movie it is when it comes out. Okay. Check out the new trailer for our new movie, Anyone But You, now. <laughs> so they're appearing... Oh, sorry, to cut off Glenn yeah. Powell on the end. <laughs> so they're appearing as Sydney and Glenn, as if they have a similar banter and I kind of hate you energy to their characters in the film, introducing the trailer for the film. Exactly right. I actually think me paraphrasing that kind of exchange wasn't too far off what they No, I think you did doing. amazing. So then they dropped that. And then after that, Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone came out. And this was about just 24 hours between them with exactly the same 
thing. They're standing in front of a blue wall, they're introing their own trailer, and they word for word copy what Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell have done. Wearing the same outfits. Correct. Nathan Fielder is in a white polo shirt. Emma Stone is in a slightly different pink tank top. Shall I play you their snippet? Yes. Please. Check out the trailer for my new show. My new show? It's actually my show. Uh, we'll see whose show it is when people see it. Okay. Check out the trailer for our new show, The Curse, now. Better? Let's play the trailer. <laughs> We did it again. We literally just did it again. So they're the two snippets together. So everyone saw these two kind of bits or skits and were like, we're so confused. Because as you said, they dropped very quickly after one another. Exactly. So there was that and it was confusing and people were like, is this a joke that I'm not in on? Is this a joke that I'm confused about? However, it got more confusing because after Emma and Nathan Fielder's video went live, he posted a notes app statement on Instagram and he said this, I've just been informed <laughs> that the introductory clip leading into our trailer for The Curse, which I posted to social media earlier today, has similarities to the trailer <laughs> introduction for the rom-com movie Anyone But You. I want to be very clear. We shot this promo over six months ago and I am seriously concerned that the marketing team at Sony Pictures somehow saw our our promo and copied it. He said in that statement he would not be pursuing legal action and went on. As artists doing these types of promos, we just read the scripts we're given with unyielding trust that the creative we are performing is wholly original and not lifted from competing projects or generated by AI. It is unfortunate that Sydney, Glenn, Emma and myself have been put in this situation, but this will not stop us from supporting each other's successes. And I know that Emma and myself will personally be booking front row tickets to anyone but you at opening night. Now, I think to understand maybe this, people yes, need to understand need to Nathan Fielder. People may remember last year, I wholeheartedly recommended one of Nathan Fielder's shows. It's called The Rehearsal. I believe it's on Binge. Nathan Fielder, if you're not familiar with him, is absurdist. Like his whole vibe is absurd. Also like sometimes hyper real or like constructions of reality vibe. I know that sounds confusing because it is confusing. But I, rem I remember when you tried to recommend The Rehearsal, but you couldn't explain... Any of it, you were like, you just either need to watch it or don't. His whole vibe is the bit. Like yeah, when someone yeah. commits to the bit and you're not sure if they're still doing the bit or if they're now themselves, <laughs> that's Nathan Fielder. I encouraged you to watch it last year, Annabelle. Yes, and I did. And it made me really uncomfortable, but it was great. But it's well, like I wouldn't watch it again. He's a weird genius. <laughs> Even watching this on from afar sort of made me feel a bit awkward because yeah. I didn't know what to do with it. So there was all of that. And then after his Notes app apology, anyone but use director William Gluck also posted his own notes app apology on Instagram. He wrote, in today's era of cancel culture, sometimes it's better to just own your mistakes. We did indeed steal the trailer launch idea from the curse and for that we deeply apologise to Paramount Plus, Showtime, Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone. I know words are hollow, but please, in the holiday spirit, try to forgive our missteps. He went on, please again accept our heartfelt apology. We in no way intended to stand in the way of your success. Indeed, we celebrate it. I know we will also be watching The Curse when it premieres in January. Also, I thought The Curse was already up, but that's... Yeah, you're like, when you watch it, we're both like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really kind of interested in what's happening here. It is obvious to me, as you say, that this is like a big Nathan Fielder 
bit, mm. but is it just a Nathan Fielder bit? Is it an anyone but you bit as well? Or have they had to jump on this after Nathan Fielder has made it a thing? So I'm so confused and I'm in so many minds. I think one obvious theory is that the people behind anyone but you in being a sugary rom-com for the girlies and then the people behind the curse who are like the highbrow, absurdist, psychological thriller have looked at what happened between Barbie and Oppenheimer in the middle of the year. They've realised how two completely conflicting pieces of content, like totally different universe pieces of content, can come together and actually help each other out with a marketing audiences yeah but the thing about this is when i was looking into this as nathan fielder's statement suggested these two are not from the same production company so it's not like you've got similar marketing agencies pr agencies or production companies coming at this with two very different products saying how can we boost both of them the curse is an a24 showtime production anyone but you is from sony and i think what's what I really do believe has happened here is Nathan Fielder has seen the kind of trailer bit from Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney and in 24 hours turned this around with Emma Stone yeah. and decided in that moment that anyone but you was going to be the project that they were going to choose to kind of have this co-marketing strategy with, right. co-publicity strategy with, and anyone but you kind of had no option but to roll with it because it's good for them as well. So it's like a preemptive strike that actually both parties got in well, on and thought, yeah, let's do this. Because I, it doesn't make sense to me otherwise. The curse is out right now. I know William Gluck says, when it premieres in January, but you can watch it right now. It may it doesn't make sense to me that a, a, a program that's launching now in November <laughs> and a film that's coming out on December 26 would come together unless the curse turned around and said, what's the film everyone's talking about right now? It's actually anyone but you because of everything we've spoken about with Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. Let's recreate this, make this this really absurd thing, but suddenly everyone's talking about these two shows. Like we're kind of indie, despite the fact they have Hollywood starlet Emma Stone. Stone. We're kind of indie. Let's jump on the biggest viral trend online right now when it comes to pop culture. Exactly. I I do think that has merit. The one thing that falls down for me is that what are the chances within 24 hours someone with the schedule of Emma Stone is free to go into a studio, dress exactly like Sydney Sweeney, record this. They would have had to do all of this within a couple of hours to then get it edited and put together. They might have been in the studio. Think about how quickly... uh, Ryan um, Reynolds pulled together that Peloton ad. Yeah. You can do this stuff in 24 hours. If you've got enough money, and you this can mi- do this stuff. This might be in the promotional period where they've actually allotted time together exactly. anyway to be doing media ops. I, I think you've convinced me. I think this actually is a bit of a rogue marketing attempt that everyone's gotten in on because why wouldn't you? Well, I'm obsessed with it. I think it's so clever. It's so different. It's fresh. There was this amazing tweet from someone called Kendall Husini, which and this tweet has been liked over 30,000 times, which is Nathan Fielder's commitment to the bit could be considered dangerous when combined with how stupid people are. <laughs> Which I just found very funny because they had retweeted his notes app apology. Well, you made a comment the other day saying it's funny that Nathan Fielder does these things knowing 80% of people will be in the dark as to what the fuck's going on. He only cares about the 20% who will get it. Yeah, 100%. And that's worth it to him. That's funny enough. Maybe that's the joy for him. Maybe you should watch the rehearsal. I think <laughs> I'm starting to think that the rehearsal might be very much for me. If you love this, there's no doubt in my mind you will fucking love that show. All right, I've got to watch that before next week's episode. 
episode as well. <laughs> Our second story. Sugi Waterhouse expecting first child. That is from Rolling Stone. Happy for you, Zara McDonald. This is a massive day. My gal. <laughs> Suki Waterhouse is having a baby. She is not coming to Laneway next year, though, because, of course, of the baby. baby. Yes. <laughs> um, she announced the news while she was performing at a festival in Mexico over the weekend. Here is a snippet of what she said on stage. Obviously, keep in mind, it'll be a bit loud because of the crowd, but it's worth listening to. I, uh, I decided to wear something particularly sparkly today because I thought it might distract you from something else that's going on. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's working. I really love this, like the subtlety of it. She's wearing this very shimmery mini dress, this sequin mini dress. And as she turns in the sun, you can very clearly see her baby bump. It's just like an adorable moment. A hundred percent. We also haven't even spoken about the fact that she's with Robert Pattinson. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> and, and, and has been for more than five years. It's quite funny because I like really love Suki. I said recently that she's kind of popped herself into my past basket. But when we did our Twilight Scandal series, mm. do you remember us talking a lot about Robert Pattinson and kind of pulling on some of his early career quotes, mm. being like, hmm, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> What's he's, up with this guy? Yeah. He's an interesting character. But to your credit, as the shameless podcast oracle, when you saw them on the Met Gala, I believe it was earlier this year, you did look at them and kind of, I think you insisted we put a video up on Instagram. You watched on and you thought, this is endgame. This is endgame. Not to give you Gen Z vernacular. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said some, some millennial version of this is endgame. <laughs> it would have been something way daggier than this, this is endgame. This will last forever. I ship it. I ship it. This is a forever love. <laughs> no, I think the other thing that I thought of when Suki did this, because obviously she didn't say out and out from that snippet, I'm pregnant. She said, I'm trying to distract you. Reminded me when Rihanna was performing at the Super Bowl, right? And Remember when she did this like minuscule movement to her belly, but no one felt confident enough to be like, is she pregnant? Is she not? I mean, it's it's also, it's not nice speculation generally. So we're very wired as we should be to be very careful about speculating about pregnancy. And I remember after the Super Bowl, someone tweeted saying the fact that so many people weren't sure if Rihanna was pregnant or not after that shows how poor our media literacy was, <laughs> is still annoying to me. It's still annoying to me because if you want to do a vague but obvious pregnancy announcement do what Suki did well Rihanna's was too vague a hundred percent the number of DMs we got last week from our beloved listeners who said girls you've missed the rumors that Suki Waterhouse is pregnant haven't you seen the photos to those listeners perhaps we made that mistake in the past in the first year or so of doing the podcast but now I think we're at a maturity level where we're not going to speculate on someone's belly until they tell us, hey, there's a human inside there. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's like <laughs> Suki's sort of done that and I'm so happy for them. I am sad that she's not coming to Melbourne next year and we're not going to therefore be able to get her on the podcast. But uh. <laughs> maybe another time, Maybe guys. another time. The um, memes <laughs> where it's like Robert Pattinson in Twilight and then it's like, Jacob Black, stay away from that baby. <laughs> so funny. Everyone at work in the office was like laughing at those memes, but I had no idea what it meant. you got to watch those movies or I read know, those books. It is it's a bit pick me though of not having watched Twilight. So you haven't watched Twilight. You haven't watched any. Um, not a single one. I might have watched a little bit of the first movie. I would literally pay you money 
to do a joint movie night where we just watch the poor Twilight we, movies. And we like goggle box it. That is my, I can't tell you guys how much that is my definition of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, bliss for me. Twilight? <laughs> Watching the Twilight movies back to back to back. Oh, yeah. As we know, it's my secret talent. Just me, sit on, sit the on things. <laughs> yeah. Sit on things and watch a screen. Please, can we watch the Twilight movies? I'm booked up this week <laughs> <laughs> with Robbie and with the rest, but perhaps next week. Coming up after the break, reviews of The Crown are in and they are not good. Travis Kelsey has been profiled by the Wall Street Journal and Kanye West's Australian wife, Bianca Sensori, might now be his ex. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Our third story. Sean Diddy Combs and Cassie Ventura settle sexual abuse lawsuit one day after filing. That is from ABC News. What a story. Yeah, this was a really troubling and strange one that popped up at the end of last week. So for those who missed it late last week, it was revealed that the rapper Cassie was suing Mish, her long-term partner, Sean Diddy Combs. Yeah. And a trigger warning before we get into this one, fast forward about two minutes if you'd prefer not to hear the details. Cassie has accused Diddy of serial physical abuse, sexual slavery and rape. One day after this news was made public, though, a settlement between the pair was reached. The details of that settlement haven't been disclosed publicly. In the original lawsuit, which was filed on Thursday, US time, Cassie claimed that Diddy forced her to engage in sex acts with a succession of male sex workers he had hired while he watched on and filmed the encounters. The lawsuit also claimed that he regularly beat her over the course of a 10-year professional and romantic relationship in which he also allegedly controlled her through intimidation and by plying her with drugs and alcohol. Then Cassie alleges that Diddy sexually assaulted her when she threatened to leave him in 2018. Of the lawsuit, her lawyer said, I am very proud of Miss Ventura for having the strength to go public with her lawsuit. She ought to be commended for doing so. Meanwhile, it should be noted that Diddy and his legal team have emphatically denied all of these allegations. Yeah, Diddy's lawyer said the lawsuit was, and I quote, riddled with baseless and outrageous lies after a failed attempt to blackmail him into paying her $30 million, which is... Australian $46 million by threatening to write a tell-all book about their relationship. So two very, very different stories. Within 24 hours, they did settle, as we said earlier. Of that settlement, Cassie said, I have decided to resolve this matter amicably on terms that I have some level of control. I want to thank my family, fans and lawyers for their unwavering support. Yeah, Diddy also said, we've decided to resolve this matter amicably. I wish Cassie and her family all the best. Love. A really bizarre one to see it pop up and be everywhere late last week and then for the settlement to be reached so quickly. It's just... It's a really hard one to make sense of and it's wild, some of the allegations in that original lawsuit. Our fourth story. Adele reportedly confirms rumours she and Rich Paul are married. That is from Yahoo. Right. So Adele and Rich Rich Paul. Rich Rich Paul. Adele 
over the weekend reportedly attended comedian Alan Carr's stand-up comedy show. She's quite good friends with Alan Carr. Do you remember that? Um Yes. Performance. <laughs> yes. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Oh, where he has to get up on stage because she wants to get her makeup redone? Yeah. Mm. And he, I love that. <laughs> exactly right. So they're really, really tight. And apparently she confirmed at that show that she is married. So a quick reminder, she's been with Rich Paul since 2021. She confirmed the relationship in September 2021. Rich Paul is a sports agent to the stars. He is huge in the sporting world, quite close with LeBron, if that means anything yeah. to our listeners. <laughs> Now, apparently two members of the audience sent in tips to the celebrity gossip account Demois about this. So someone wrote into Demois saying, I was at Alan Carl's comedy show in LA tonight and Adele was in the audience. Alan asked the crowd if anyone got married recently and Adele shouted, I did. Oh, I love that. I love that this is the way she's telling the world. Another wrote into Demois. When Alan Carr asked if anyone got married recently, she yelled, I did, super cute all round and was super sweet, but dipped right before it ended. I don't know what that last bit means. Does it mean that Adele dipped before it ended or the writer of the anonymous tip dipped? Or maybe she ducked back down before she ended the sentence. Um, My sincere sincere apologies. I included this line and now we're all confused because I don't know what it means either. But it dipped right before it ended. Of course. Something something was dipped before Before the conclusion. Now, it's actually not the first time that they've been rumours about them getting married last month she posted a whole bunch of photos from her Las Vegas residency and in the photos you could see her wearing a large diamond ring on her ring finger in September when a fan on stage at the residency also asked to marry her she said you can't marry me my love my husband's here tonight he's here so she's sort of doing this thing where like she's saying it but like not saying it. Saying it in such a chill way. Like, she's just so chill about the whole thing. I love Adele. I'm lo- obsessed with this story. I, I really love this story too. I love them together. Oh, no. What are you about to say? No, I just, I I want them to be a forever love. <laughs> I, I don't want to see. <laughs> I ship it. <laughs> I don't want to see divorce babes divorce no, that again. Is, ex- yes. No, I know. But not that that means anything's a failure, of course. It's just, I just love them. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Good caveat. I'll fit the story. The Crown season six review so bad it's basically an out of body experience that is from the guardian oh my god oh my god the final season of the crown is here well the first half of it is anyway we've got four episodes at the moment and it is charting the death of princess diana naturally covering this kind of material meant that the stakes were high the execution, however, has been absolutely eviscerated. Yeah, well, The Guardian gave it one star. The BBC gave it two stars and labelled it clumsy and predictable. The Independent wrote that it feels like an ailing project. <laughs> pretty, like, emphatically brutal. Yeah, it's so interesting because I hadn't read any of this commentary. I just messaged you maybe over the weekend mm. and I was like, the crown's not hitting it for me. Like I've watched two episodes and I'm bored. And you're a crown stan. I love the crown. It's one of your favourite shows ever. And you came back to me and you were like, yeah, it's not good. Well, my feeling was I watched three episodes, but I found myself on my phone so much yeah. more than I did in any other season. Like I found myself feeling bored. And what I loved about the crown early on was you couldn't do that. You couldn't mm-hmm. like just distract yourself for five minutes. You would miss a crucial piece of the puzzle. Like the writing was so incisive. So to then fast forward to season six and feel like I was kind of watching Neighbours. Yeah, well, it's hard because 
Elizabeth Debicki, the Australian actress who's playing Diana, is amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, she's awesome. But I think it's one of those things, though, I was trying to sit with it and work out what the problem for me was. I mean, the Diana story has really been done. Like, we're Mm. not short of Diana content, and it made me wonder, was I really enthralled with earlier seasons of The Crown because, like, there was less there that I knew and more kind of, for me, uncharted territory that hasn't been rinsed and repeated in so many different parts of the entertainment industry? Like, do you think that's a big part of it? I think that's a huge part of it. I think the other part of it is what led to Princess Diana dying is so hotly contested even to this day and people feel very passionate about their theories whether or not it was a drunken chauffeur behind the wheel of a car driving recklessly, whether it was the paparazzi putting Diana in danger, whether it was an inside job from the royal family. Lots of people sit in those different camps and my feeling watching the first half of this season is the writers kind of tried to appease everyone they chucked things in like particularly like dialogue from the royal family members being like this is an issue for us and like diana's love life is an issue for us and what are we gonna do about the pr disaster that is diana that made me feel like they were trying to please everyone and in doing that they pleased nobody because it kind of fell into no man's land it actually didn't feel like there was much grittiness yeah to it and i think the royal family, a lot, there's been a lot of commentary about how positively Charles has been portrayed. And it's not like I'm coming to this being like, for this to work, Charles needed to be portrayed as the enemy. But it's like, I sort of thought it was such a sympathetic portrayal that it couldn't have possibly felt realistic. It felt soft. Like, it feels soft. And they didn't have to go soft, particularly in season one and two, because a lot of the characters they were covering were not around anymore. Uh, Yeah. So they could kind of do these portrayals that really went there. Whereas when you're covering people who are still alive, there's a lot of legalities and red tape that comes with that. And so I think if coverage of different characters is a little more sympathetic, I think that's because it almost has to be. Well, that's what I was wondering. I would love to know how much impact that has had on the writing of this television show, be it from a legal standpoint. I mean, the royals famously don't sue. They sue so infrequently. So it's like, would it be that? Or is it just a power point in that Mm. the royals are so powerful that they can pull the strings they want to pull? Yeah, like even without a direct threat threat of suing you, there's this anxiety that these people I'm writing about and portraying are going to be watching this and combing over it and they're very, very powerful people. I think it's just fascinating the way this show has fallen from grace. I mean, this was considered Netflix's crown jewel for so long. Seven years ago, The Guardian was far from giving it one-star reviews. In fact, Lucy Mangan, the exact same reviewer Mm -hmm. who gave the scathing review we began the segment with, gave season one of The Crown glowing praise seven years ago. In fact, her original review of the show ran under the headline, Netflix's £100 million gamble on the Queen pays off royally. She called it a top quality soap that refuses to bow before the royals. So I think that depicts just how far we've gone from being one of the most critically acclaimed shows to one of the most critically panned. Yeah, 100%. I also find the structure of the last season or two a little bit confusing. Mm. So to jog your memories here, in January 2020, Peter Morgan, the main writer, creator of the series, announced that the show was renewed for a fifth and final season with the explanation that, and I quote, it's become clear to me that this is the perfect time and place to stop. 
by July, the plan had changed. They said that they would be stretching the season out for a sixth season after all. And I think maybe this probably should have been all in season five. Mm. It's also interesting because when I went to sit down for season five, I thought that was going to be it. Mm. So I got to the end of it. This might actually just be me being a deal and not. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think this plan changed three or four times. So maybe you just assumed what a lot of people assumed. And I was like, oh, we're not doing this now. But I don't think that there's actually enough content for them to stretch it over an entire season. It felt stretchy. Yeah, and I don't. It's not like I want to give spoilers or anything, but also this is a true story. So <laughs> the the final thing, the final point I want to make on this is there are these scenes in this season where Elizabeth Debicki is playing Diana's ghost. Mm. Beyond it being kind of insensitive, I think playing anyone's ghost is insensitive because you can't possibly you you're not talking about anything that is true. Like you can't possibly know what Diana's ghost would have said. We've lost a grasp of reality. Like what people loved about this is how closely it mirrored historical events. We're now talking about the supernatural. Well, it's sort of like when a ghost comes to a TV show, it's sort of like (laughs) when you were a kid and you were writing a short story and then you're like, and then I woke up and it was all a dream. So true. It's trashy and it's lazy is what <laughs> lazy. I would say. I 100% agree. I think it's really lazy and I think it's the kind of thing that you come up with when you're feeling like severe writer's block. You don't know <laughs> what the fuck to do anymore so you're like a ghost to me <laughs> and then I wake up and everything's good again. <laughs> it's time to employ the ghost. <laughs> Our sixth story exclusive. How Travis Kelsey manifested the best year of his life. That is from the Wall Street Journal. All right, guys. So Travis Kelsey has been profiled by the Wall Street Journal. And it's not like I think we would mention just any profile, but this is quite a big one. I mean, the profile was written by J.R. Moringa. If you haven't heard of J.R. Moringa, he is one of the most famous ghostwriters, if not the most famous ghostwriter in the world. He ghostwrote Prince Harry's. He ghostwrote my favourite Biography of Andre auto, Agassi. Autobiography, I should have said. <laughs> Andre Agassi. He is the guy. He's, yeah, he's like a legend. Yeah. So for him to see Travis Kelsey's name popping up in the news, because of course Taylor Swift made Travis Kelsey famous. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that TikTok trend? Yes, I have. Yeah. With the boyfriends getting very, very grumpy. Grumpy when people say that. J.R. Moringa thought, I'm going to get on a plane and interview the guy of the moment. And it kind of paints a picture of a guy that, we all imagine anyway. Yeah, it's giving strong golden retriever boyfriend energy. I agree with that. Now, it opened with such a great <laughs> line and I want to read it to you. When Travis Kelsey was a young man, his college football coach pulled him aside one day and told him the secret to life. Everybody you meet in this world is either a fountain or a drain. I need fountains, the coach growled at Kelsey. I don't need fucking drains. Travis, you're fucking draining me. The (laughs) the advice left a deep impression. Changed his life, says one of Kelsey's closest friends. Yes, Kelsey thought, you're either a giver of the basic wellsprings of life or a thirsty taker. He vowed to be the former. In a world of gutters, be a geezer. I love this opener so much. We came across this when we were like quite young. You're either a fountain or a drain. Yeah, it was the first. I'd heard it when I was about, you, we would have been 22. 22. Yeah. And the older I get, the more I like it. Yeah, I think it's true. I don't know how I felt about it at the time when I was 22 and I heard about it. But now I'm like, yeah, I think it's kind of true. I think it I is. Think you can choose. I think you can choose. You can't choose your circumstances but you can sometimes choose how you want to approach them. And look, it really is the most simplistic premise in the world that you're either 
glass half full or glass half well, empty. Yeah. There it's are really just the rebrand of that. Quite a few ways to skin this cat. But Travis Kelsey decided he was going to be glass half full. Yeah. Now, at this profile, we saw a bit of Travis Kelsey, the athlete. He did confess that he's been thinking a little bit more about the prospect of retirement. <clears throat> I think that's why he's with Taylor Swift. Oh. Um, I'm worrying about life without the NFL propping him up. I think that's such a classic for so many athletes, Mish. Yeah, it's fascinating because... J.R. Moringa spoke to Travis's friends who said, oh, he's, he's like worryless. He doesn't worry about anything. He's not worried about retiring. He doesn't think about it. And then Travis comes in and says, I think about this, I quote, more than anyone could ever imagine. Yeah. So it's the golden retriever boyfriend with like the poodle brain or something. Don't get me wrong. I really like, I do quite like Travis Kelsey and, um, Last week, you know, when all his old tweets were resurfacing, and is is there a is there a sentence that strikes the fear of God into anyone more than tweets resurfacing? Yeah. <laughs> and yet they were just like incredibly funny. He was just like going to eat pasta or giving squirrels bread. And um, <laughs> I thought this guy is like quite likable. The only thing about this profile that got me is like I, I get it. Like I get it. You are the golden retriever brand. It feels like I'm being force fed it a bit too much now. But do you think that's because that's just genuinely who he is? I think well, the tweets more than anything the show. The tweets prove that. Yeah. The profile, I'm like, I get it, I get it, I get it. True. Maybe they were kind of annoyed that those tweets became True. viral before the profile came out. Maybe. Very good point. Because then it felt like labouring the point a little bit. I do hear you. I did like that the piece spoke to his mum, Donna, who said, I can tell you this, he's happier than I've seen him in a long time. God bless him, he shot for the stars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I loved that quote so Donna. much. I don't know if you were in the office. I read it out to everyone as I read it straight away because I thought it was so sweet. He shot for the stars. Oh, so, so cute. Sweet. I yeah. do want to bring up one thing with you guys. Yeah, please. Okay. I just want to know if this is your vibe because as part of being the Golden Retriever boyfriend, Kelsey did tell the interviewer what his tasting content is like. Oh, God. <laughs> the piece, do you know where she's no, going? No, I don't. The piece read as follows. Indeed. Kelsey has warned Taylor Swift that she's going to have to reckon with this part of his personality. Adam Sandler, Chris Farley, Will Ferrell, they will all be part of the relationship. I told Taylor that I have that world. I've got to introduce it to her. I let her know this is my jam right here. So Travis is like, you know, dumb boy humour? Yeah. That's his, <laughs> that's his thing. His thing to the point where his ringtone is a Chris Farley quote from one of the dumb boy movies that I I will never profess to want to watch. How do we feel about that? Is that an ick or is that a tick? It's neither. Are you kidding? I think it's obviously an ick. Oh, but like none of those, not that I know of anyway, none of those comedians have done anything yeah, yeah. problematic. I know, it's just giving college frat boy. Yeah. It is. It's giving like kind of an immature <laughs> sense of humour. But I will fight for this. I think some people think Taylor Swift is someone who's quite lyrical and intelligent needs to end up with the artsy person oh. instead of the knockabout fun guy who doesn't think that deeply. I think this is the perfect no, marriage I of two agree. different kinds of people. I agree. And I, Annabelle, I agree with you when you say like, you know, is it the end of the world? Maybe it's a beige flag rather than beige. a red flag. Like yeah. oh, I wouldn't completely. But then if I was single and someone had that on their hinge profile, I think I'd keep swiping. Interesting. Well, dare I say I consider Adam Sandler like ick. Will Ferrell movies, tick. Like, I'm nice. happy to get around Will, but Adam Sandler and those dumb golf movies, I don't even know what they, I'm not Happy Madison or Chill Happy Madison. Gilmore. <laughs> Chill Madison. That's the Madison one. Happy Gilmore. Billy Madison. Lucky, Lucky Happy. Madison. Billy Lucky Madison. Madison. <laughs> 
all the adjectives. Sorry, when he's like an adult in like a kid's like class. I hate it. I'm like, it. ugh. Anyway. <laughs> seventh story. Kanye West and wife Bianca Sensori reportedly taking a break after her friend's intervention. A really quick one. This is from news.com.au. The couple, Zara, who maybe got married late last year, maybe didn't, maybe just had a like play wedding for funsies have been spending a lot of time apart recently, according to the tabloid The Sun. Yeah, exactly. So you're right. I think when any news outlet talks about these two being married, it's always in inverted commas because no one knows if they're actually legally married. But the US Sun have reported that they're sort of spending some time apart. Sources told the outlet her family has never been a fan of him and those close to her have questioned whether marrying him was the right decision. He is a very difficult person to be around and work for and Bianca has been one of the most patient people ever to deal with. Bianca has been spotted back in Australia. I saw some photos of her in Melbourne recently. Kanye, also known now as Ye, is reportedly holed up at a luxury complex turned recording studio, so reports page six in Saudi Arabia. Random. So I, I think this is a tough one to talk about. I mean, we've largely been steering clear of Ye in recent months for what I think would be obvious reasons. Mm. I don't think constantly talking about him is helpful or doing anything good. But I do think it would be remiss of us not to acknowledge that I guess from the naked eye, the relationship appears to be pretty imbalanced. It's kind of a hard one to talk about because I also don't want to kind of insert myself into a narrative that's not mine Mm. or assume something about a relationship that I have no idea about. But it is also hard for the public to know what to do when there are lots of pat photos around, when there are lots of news around. And it's like, how do you consume that information in a responsible way? way that also kind of feels the need to protect her. A hundred percent. It is a tricky one to talk about, as you said, but at the end of the day, we're looking at a, a younger woman. There's quite a big age gap here, which I know doesn't mean everything, but sometimes it does mean something. Even the the appearance sometimes of Bianca being dressed in a way that, I mean, there was one pap shot of her just holding a pillow to cover herself and Kanye being fully dressed. I, I think it would be absurd to ask anyone to look at photos like that and feel nothing. I agree. I think people feel a lot of things. And I am happy for her if she's back in Australia and back with her friends and family. If they end up getting back together, then sure. But I think it's always good when you're in a relationship that feels complicated and feels troubling it's good to be surrounding yourself with the people that love you and have known you forever. And so I've been really happy to see her back here in Melbourne. Yeah, and I think the overriding sense that I have is I would be very cautious of villainising her for any perceived behaviour over the last few months because, Mm. as I said, it's not like I want to assume any kind of dynamic, but I do feel protective over that and giving people the benefit of the doubt. For sure. Our eighth and final story. Kyle and Jackie O's new 10-year radio deal nets them millions in shares. That is from the AFR. For our international listeners, this story is concerning itself with two of the biggest, if not the biggest, names in Australian media, Jackie O and Carl Sanderlands. They have been giants in the radio industry for decades now, and they have just scored what is believed to be the biggest radio deal in the country's history. Yeah. It's mammoth. It's like $200 million worth over 10 years. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's crazy. My favourite detail is that apparently, according to the AFR, the radio network, which is called ARN, was so desperate to woo these two, to impress them, to kind of butter them up, that they used bespoke skywriting as part of the 
negotiation. Like they would literally write <laughs> Do across you the sky writing. Like, would that butter me up? I don't think so. <laughs> I think That's a red flag. Yeah, yeah I <laughs> agree. It's, <a> <laughs> <laughs> it's too much. Yeah, well, it worked. <laughs> if it wasn't quite enough, or if it was too much, it didn't matter in the end because apparently they have struck a multi-layered offer of two hundred million dollars over ten years, as you said, Zara. As part of that, Kyle and Jackie O will reportedly be paid a base salary plus a percentage share of company revenue every year, plus sign-on bonuses. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, goes without saying, Kyle and Jackie O are a deeply controversial pair. They have done some deeply controversial things over the years, but you can't deny that they pull in numbers and they pull in money for radio Mm. stations. As part of this deal, Kyle and Jackie O's radio show will now air in the Melbourne breakfast spot too. That means Jace and Lauren have been booted from their gig, and I would like to take a moment on this show (laughs) to say that I really liked that breakfast yeah. show. Yeah. Jason Lauren, if you're listening. I don't listen to radio. I did like them. So <laughs> I'm annoyed about this. Jason Lauren joining Shameless Media. Yeah. <laughs> I create a show with them. I was a bit annoyed by this detail, quite nichely. <laughs> now, Kyle Sandelan said in a statement, love us or loathe us. <laughs> oh, very we'll Kyle. take the latter. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Jackie and I will be continuing with our politically incorrect nonsense for a long, long time. (laughs) Speaking of 10 years, 10 years ago, the other network we were once at told Jackie and I we were past our use-by date and no longer relevant. So that's a little fun observation that's worth mentioning on such a momentous day. Imagine pocketing a $200 million deal and being like, and yes, I will kick the other network (laughs) while they're down. The only thing I want to say to this is 10 years is a little stressful for mine. Mm, Only in 2034... I mean, I have to say, ARN are not going to put $200 million in the pocket of Kyle and Jackie O without doing their research and Mm. sort of having confidence that we will still be listening to radio in 10 years. But I'm just going to say, in 10 years, I will be 39. (laughs) I don't know what the world is going to look like then. I can't guarantee we're all going to listen to radio. It blows me away that radio still rakes in the money money it does. Like, it is obscene the amount of money radio still makes in Australia. And I feel like on this podcast for the last five and a half years, I've spoken about radio as if it's dying, doesn't make any money anymore. <laughs> sort of like, like we've got a vested interest yeah. <laughs> as podcasters. <laughs> totally unbiased yeah. take from me. Incorrect. Radio, from what I can tell from people in the industry, is in some ways doing better than ever, making more money than ever. And so I think we're showing our age a little bit yeah. sometimes oh, when it comes to radio. We're not listening, but tens of millions of Australians are. I'm just, I, I will check back in with you in 10 years about this. <laughs> yeah. I will. The show will still be going, so we'll check in. And hopefully pocketing a $200 million deal well, for us. About it. 10 years ago, I was 19. Wow. A lot has changed. <laughs> a lot has changed. Year maths. Age maths. Age maths to finish the show because that's all we've got for you. That is all we've got for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our audio producer, Annabelle Lee. You're welcome. For making this edit possible. What else, Zara? Um, if you want to support the show, come and find us on TikTok at shameless underscore podcast or Instagram at shameless podcast. That's it for now. We will be back in your ears on Monday for another episode of Scandal. Yay. Bye, guys. Bye. media this podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land always was always will be aboriginal land
Hi guys, Shameless Media's video producer Charlotte here. I'm abruptly popping up at the end of this episode to tell you about a new series I've been working on called The Tastemakers. It lives on the Shameless Book Club feed and the series explores the inspiration and motivation of Australia's most trusted tastemakers. Hosted by the wonderful Gemma Diamond and spanning across six episodes, we'll hear about everything from beauty to lifestyle and food. One of my favourite episodes to film was with Maggie Zhao. She's such a bookworm and she offered up some really interesting in-depth insights that I really loved. It's so good to see Gemma and Maggie sit down and talk about books and they just had such a fantastic chemistry on the day that when we were shooting, I just knew that this was a good episode. Oh my God. So do you know how we talk about social media and it's like, yeah, like an overnight success, like this person, you know, overnight literally gained a million followers, right? So think of that and now think of the opposite (laughs) of that. (laughs) And that is me. Tastemakers is made for anybody who is looking for a slice of inspiration from influential women who are ready to offer up their expertise. Search for The Shameless Book Club in your favourite podcast app now, have a listen and make sure to click follow so you don't miss your next favourite episode.